0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through 42 this morning. This is indeed the Savior of the world. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one, a few actually, in the pew in front of you. In one of those pockets. You can grab that and turn to page number 836. 836 in that pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible... And we would love to make sure that you have God's Word in your hand, and we want to give you that Bible that's in the back of that pew if you, don't have, if you don't own one of your own. John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. This is indeed the Savior of the world. Last week we were studying the event of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. We saw how Jesus ignored, essentially, this cultural faux pas in order to conduct... This divine appointment with a woman who was not only a Samaritan, but one of poor reputation at that. In this conversation, after she is amazed that Jesus has asked her, a woman, a Samaritan woman on top of that, for water, um, he tells her he can give her living water. And by which, of course, he means eternal life, that well springing out from within, the Holy Spirit, as the Old Testament prophets uh, prophesied about, Eternal life because he is uh, her Lord and Savior. And he declares to this woman a startling revelation that he is Messiah, as she asks him that. And in, he does it in such a way in which she explains that he is the I am. He is, in fact, Yahweh, he is God. This week we see the response that she has to this conversation as well as how the disciples respond to this interaction that Jesus has had. If you're able to, would you please stand with me once again? I'm just going to read a few verses from this passage this morning. John chapter 4. I'm just going to read verses 27 through 30. And then we'll pray, and then we'll dive in together. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So... The woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? Translated. They went out of the town and were coming to him. You may be seated. That is the word of God in the New Testament reading. May it be a blessing to you as you've heard it, read aloud. Join me once again in prayer. Lord, this morning we do pray that you would attend to our time by your Spirit who inspired these words in the original autographs and now is able to convict us and to comfort us with truth and to illuminate our eyes and our minds to these truths and the application of them. Your Spirit is also able to convict the lost who could be in our midst this morning who need to turn from their sin and trust in you. And so we pray for that as well. Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross and the empty tomb, and that we would only see your glory this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2006, John Piper, who some of you know is the former pastor, the retired pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, he went in for prostate surgery due to cancer that had been discovered. On the evening before that surgery, he wrote a 10-point document entitled, Don't Waste Your Cancer, a play on the title of an earlier book he wrote called Don't Waste Your Life. Each of the points drives him, as he expresses his own heart, drives him and his readers back to the goodness of God and the glory of God in all circumstances. In the third point he states, quote, you will waste your cancer if you seek comfort from your odds rather than from God. Continuing to quote him, the design of God in your cancer is not to train you in the rationalistic human calculation of odds. The world gets comfort from their odds. Not Christians. Quoting Psalm 27, some count their chariots. Perhaps we could say percentages of survival. And some count their horses. uh, Perhaps we could say the side effects of treatment in Piper's case, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, continuing to quote him god's design is clear from second Corinthians one nine we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God, who raises the dead. The aim of God in our cancer among a thousand other good things is to knock Props out from under our hearts so that we rely utterly on Him. At least in part of what Piper illustrates here is our tendency to idolize things like comfort. He points to the comfort of knowing the odds rather than relying on Christ. We may in the same situation find comfort in the technology of modern medicine for which we need to be thankful. But ultimately, to whom? And in what sense do we find our ultimate comfort in such situations if that modern medicine fails at killing that cancer? And to be honest, we fall easily into this idolatry of comfort in much simpler situations even than this. It's more comfortable to sit in our homes and be entertained and be evangelized by the world than it is for us to leave all the creature comforts and confront the world with their sin and need of Christ. It is. It's easier. It's more comfortable. We've been called to greater things than comfort, and yet it is an easy idol to which we bow in our advanced times. We have constructed a sort of technological tower of Babel in which we invite God to join us if he so chooses, rather than us submitting to him and to what he has called us, which means ultimately sacrifice he calls us to do his will to love him with all of who we are which kj just um, recited which implies obedience to him as we love our neighbors and seek to bring the good news to them making disciples as he has called us to do It is this idea of obedience to the will of God, the driving impetus in the life of Jesus, the pursuit of conformity to God's will, not comfort that we see Jesus exemplify in our text today. And so we turn now to our main idea, considering that it's printed for you in the back of your worship folder. Jesus, in this text, shows his disciples and therefore us that he came to do the will of God in order that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would believe in him. Ultimately, that is what we see in this text. As Jesus adjusts the thinking of his disciples and therefore helps us in our thinking, he is showing that he came to do the will of God in order that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would believe in him. Because they are amazed that Jesus is talking to a woman and at that a Samaritan woman because the Israelite mind is constrained to thinking about the kingdom as for Israel alone. Let me also give you an application as we think through this today. As those in Christ, we should imitate Christ in doing the will of God by proclaiming the good news and reaping the harvest of God's saving work. Do you see how this is in line with exactly what our brother just shared with us concerning his ministry in Japan and our ministry here As those in Christ, we should imitate Him in doing the will of God by proclaiming the good news and reaping the harvest of God's saving work. I want us to see four questions that outline our text today. Four questions which outline our text. The first is this, the question concerning Messiah. The question concerning Messiah. And just recognize this. Uh, I say say this many times, and you guys are familiar with this. Some of you may not be, though, so let me say it again. The word Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, so we can use those words interchangeably. Messiah and Christ are the same uh, thing. Messiah, anointed one, the chosen one of God. So after Jesus had this conversation with the Samaritan woman, his disciples returned with food from the town of Sychar. As we explained last week, it would have been extremely out of place for a Jewish man, especially one known as a rabbi or a teacher, to speak publicly with a woman, much less a Samaritan woman, with a reputation as the one with whom Jesus is speaking. Therefore, John relays that the disciples marveled that he was speaking with a woman. But they didn't ask of her, what do you seek? Nor did they ask of him, why are you talking with her? So at the same moment as the disciples return, she returns to the town in such a hurry, she leaves her water jar behind to tell the people about who she has met. Look at it again. Verse 27, just as his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town. And she says this to the people. She reveals uh, her sin Even to them. He knows what I did. He knows all that I have done. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? Again, we are reminded last week that the Samaritans believed that a Messiah was coming. They thought of Him more as one who was coming to explain all things to them, as she says in that statement. They were relying on Torah, the first uh, five books of the Bible. We call it the Pentateuch. Uh, they really were not relying on the prophets or the writings. And so Jesus has to expand her thoughts on matters like worship and where worship is to take place. And he actually uh, gives her the, the, the final trajectory of that, which is that worship is located in him. Even as he stated earlier that if the Pharisees were to tear down the temple, he would rebuild it in three days. And he was not speaking of the physical temple, he was speaking of his body as the temple. This all has to do with her statement about Messiah coming and worship, and worshiping about those who worship him in spirit, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And we're reminded that truth is Jesus. That he is the word of God. And that the Spirit comes and indwells believers in the New Testament and the New Covenant age. All of these things are kind of bursting on the scene as Jesus talks about these things. She left him knowing that there is something about him and that she needed to tell others. And we are also reminded that Jesus has gone outside the boundaries of what was expected concerning the kingdom of God Again, their thought was, this is only for Israel. Messiah is only for Israel. And he goes to those who would be looked down upon by Israel, and they themselves, the Samaritans, would have looked down upon Israel as well. Specifically because they were not pure-blooded Israelites. And Jesus goes, and he reveals more here than he has at any other point so far in his ministry about who he is. This becomes so important as we see the response of the Samaritans at the end of our study. Because we see after this woman's testimony, many were coming out of the town to him in verse 30. This woman comes into the town and she says, you're not going to believe this. And, and uh, you know, they're looking at her saying, okay. I mean, for lack of better terms, adulterous woman. What do you mean? Well, he told me everything that I ever did. He doesn't know me. Could this be the Christ? S. Johnson in his exposition of this passage says, this phrasing in the Greek is such that it anticipates a negative response, but with a hopefulness that it will not be negative. (laughs) That she hopes they may... Be stirred in their mind to think, nah, it couldn't be, but is it? So, think about what Jesus has done here. We're reminded of our place in this world as his ambassadors. We are to go to those who are lost and proclaim the good news, the gospel to them. We are to tell them of who Christ is and what he has done and living a life without sin, dying the death deserved by sinners and being raised to new life, showing his victory over sin and death to the glory of God. This is what Paul calls the gospel. And he says this is of first importance in First Corinthians 15. As those in Christ, we should imitate him in doing the will of God by proclaiming the good news and reaping the harvest of God's saving work. And it is this glory and will of God that we learn of next. Secondly, the question concerning food. We first see this question concerning Messiah. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Christ? And now we have a question concerning food. And I know some of you are already thinking about that for later on. What are we having for lunch? Did you know that the Bible talks about food? It talks about food quite a bit. And of course... We remember that as Jesus comes into the town of Sychar, this well that is outside the city, he comes as one who has traveled probably two or three days to get there, as one who is famished, as one who is thirsty, as one whose disciples go into the town to get him food because of those things. So the woman having left, the disciples returning returning, having accomplished their task, they ask Jesus if he wants the food they have brought for him. Look at what it says. Meanwhile... The disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. This idea of urging here would probably be because he needed to. He needed that nourishment. We, we we're reminded that Jesus, uh, though he is um, truly God, is also in the incarnation truly man. Rabbi, eat. Rabbi, eat. They were urging him. Earlier, we, we again see that Jesus is weary from his journey and thirsty, yet he does not want to eat. Look at what he says instead. But he said to them, Verse 32, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now, if you've ever been sent on a task before, and you find out that the task that you've just been sent on ends up being a fruitless task because you come back and the person says, oh, I've already got that taken care of. How do you normally feel? Like frustrated, right? (laughs) Like we waited in line at Jimmy John's for a long time, Jesus, and now you're telling us you don't want food You already had food? So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? How is it that we've been sent on this task to bring Jesus food and he already has food? Why did we go get food for you and bring it back if you already had something? Instead, Jesus tells them something different in verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Now, we need to recognize something here. This does not diminish the fact that Jesus is weary and hungry. But it does mean in this moment He is finding His satisfaction in doing what He has been sent to do. You see that? Jesus is still hungry. He is still weary. He perhaps is even still thirsty, but maybe that's the reason why the lady left the jar behind, was for him to be able to partake. But in this moment, he is finding his satisfaction in doing the will of the one who sent him. Once again, we think about, from a human perspective, this idea of comfort. How often are we willing to sacrifice even the necessities of life in order to do what God has called us to do? I can think of times, dear ones, where I have failed to share the gospel because I was hungry. Well, we must recognize a theological point here as well there is one will in the godhead the father the son and the spirit do not have different wills they have one will in divinity and their essence being the same but in the intra trinitarian relationships there is a sending by the father and a doing by the son this is known in theology as the ad intra and ad extra the internal relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit expressed in space and time by the actions of the particular person of the Trinity. There is one will internally and yet an outworking of that will in space and time by the Son who is sent from the Father. We also recognize in theology that Jesus in His incarnation has how many wills? Two. He has a divine will and a human will. If you have questions about that, you can talk to uh, Brett. He's a theologian. He's a... taking theology classes right now. No, but we have to recognize that. So when Jesus talks about submitting his will to the will of the Father, it is that human will that is submitted, even in the incarnation, we understand this as an, again, using those Latin terms, an ad extra, the idea of this will of God being worked out in space and time, and how is it worked out in space and time through the humanity of Jesus, just as Jesus goes to the cross, having struggled in the garden because in his humanity he knew what that would mean. Here we see this outworking of the divine appointment we talked about last week. He had to go through Samaria. It was for the purpose of not only the interaction with the Samaritan woman, but for the sake of this town, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the Trinitarian plan of saving of many through the proclamation of the gospel, whether Jew Or Greek, or a mixture of those two. And Jesus says, my satisfaction is found in doing the will of him who sent me. How many times have I let my comfort be the thing that drives me rather than my obedience to God? As those in Christ, we should imitate him in doing the will of God by proclaiming the good news and reaping the harvest of God's saving work. Now listen, we do not have the same insight into the decreed will of God that Jesus had. We do, however, have the great commission in which we are told to go and make disciples of all nations. So that could be, as our sent missionary KJ going to Japan, and perhaps God will raise up more, Sent missionaries from our midst. But do not miss the opportunities that God has placed here in our own context. In our own neighborhoods. Proclaiming to this lost generation the truth of who God is. And what he requires of sinners. As our brother encouraged us this morning. It does take work. And let's be honest, that works against our idol of comfort, doesn't it? This can mean going literally to another nation or doing the work of making disciples here, where in reality the nations have come to us. It doesn't matter tribe, tongue, or people group that is around us. They may look like us, they may not look like us, they may be illegal, they may be legal. They are in our midst, and we must proclaim the good news. This is the call Jesus makes to his disciples in our next point. Look at number three, the question concerning the harvest, verses 35 through 38. Here's another question: Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Likely, what Jesus is referring to in this moment is as the people are now starting to come out of this town, because of what the woman has proclaimed, we see waves of white The Samaritan people would have worn white turbans and white robes. There is not really a known white crop in the Middle East like this. Especially where they are. There was cotton in Egypt. But Jesus says, look up, look. The fields are white unto harvest. Here comes those who are coming out of this city And then Jesus explains the principle of sowing and reaping to them. Verses 36-38. through Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for what? Eternal life. And the sower and reaper must rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Already, in this moment... The reaper is receiving the wages and gathering the fruit for eternal life. This is so that the reaper and the sower may rejoice together. One sows, another reaps. Others have already put in the labor. Now you are reaping the benefit of what they have labored for. In this instance, we at least understand that Jesus had sown. Had he not? He had just talked to this woman at the well... Uh, about who he is and what does she do she goes and tells not just one other person she goes and tells the town come and see this man who told me all that i've ever done could this be the christ and because there's a great anticipation for the christ for the messiah coming now the the, the these people in the city begin to come out to him Jesus has sown but certainly he has also sown on the foundation of others who've come before him though they were looking to his coming we think immediately of John the baptizer he was the immediate prophet right before Jesus came who said make way for the messiah and even previously to that we understand the coming of the messiah through the prophets L- listen to this just uh, let me read this to you in, in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to what it says in verse verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, what salvation? The salvation that comes through the coming of Messiah. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. We have this long legacy, this long line of faithful people who brought the truth of Messiah coming upon which John the baptizer and then Jesus stands and says for Jesus himself I am I am that one and Jesus says to his disciples now look those who have labored before you you're now getting to reap what they have sown lift your eyes look at these ones who come yes not As pure Israelites, but even more so as the kingdom expands. Look and reap. This holds true for us as well. We are both sowing new seeds, we're watering seeds that have been sown, and we're reaping what others have sown and watered. As those in Christ, we should imitate Him in doing the will of God by proclaiming the good news and reaping the harvest of God's saving work. We are not to be discouraged when we are not the ones able to reap, but we are to rejoice when others come after us to do the work of reaping. We are to remain faithful in the planting and watering, and perhaps God will allow us to reap the harvest of others who have come before us. But we do not grow weary in the working, brothers and sisters. We do not become lazy and give in to the idle Of comfort, we proclaim the good news until he comes again. We see this reaping in our final point, the question concerning belief, verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, she having said, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they Here's the final question. Asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Why do I say it's a question of concerning belief? Because they came and asked him to stay, wanting to hear for sure, is this the Messiah? So that in God's grace, in God's timing, in his providence, they would Believe. We see two ways in which many believed in him. First, because of the woman's testimony. But they came because they wanted him to stay longer. They then believed him because of his own words. Look at what it says there. Verse 42, they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What is it that they believed? First of all, they had confidence. We know. We know. We now have this confidence that this is truly the Savior of the world. Christ came to save sinners, Paul says, among whom Paul considered himself to be chief. But what we see here is this. In this expression, the Savior of the world. What do the Samaritans recognize? Even we're included. This isn't just for those who are pure of blood in Israel. This is the Messiah and He came to us. And He stayed with us for two days. And He explained to us who He is. Christ is expanding the borders of the kingdom beyond Israel. Jesus is a Savior to people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Our proclamation of Christ is to people of all tribes, tongues, and nations. We plant, we water, we reap when God gives the increase, and we are to do this to every tribe, tongue, and nation. As those in Christ we should imitate him and doing the will of god he came he said i am this is my food this is my satisfaction i find my joy and completeness in doing what god has sent me to do am i hungry yes but right now this is more important we can eat later he proclaimed the good news about himself and he said to his disciples as he says to us Lift your eyes to see the harvest is white and ready to be reaped. Is this where your heart is today? Are you willing to follow Jesus' example in calling, in the calling of many to repent and believe? If not, why not? He has given you everything you need. We have to ask is it comfort? Is it fear? I don't really want to have to do that. I don't really want to have to be looked at as odd. I see most of you. It's not a problem anyway. It's already the thought. I'm kidding, of course. But that is a fear, isn't it? Our fear of losing comfort ultimately. Do you need to repent of allowing your comfort or some other idol to rule you instead of God who has told you what He desires of you? Now this is not earning something, but recognizing that this has already been done in Christ Jesus and He has prepared you for this work of making disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Who is your master? Is it Him or is it you? Perhaps you're here And you're one who needs to hear this message of repentance and belief once again. You need to hear how Jesus came to save sinners and how you need to turn from trusting in yourself and trusting in Christ's finished work alone. I plead with you today. I beg you today to turn from your sin and trust in Christ's finished work alone. For those of us in Christ, we are called to love Him with all that we are And this overflows into our love and service of others, especially here in this local assembly, to lovingly call our brothers and sisters out of lethargy and into actively pursuing making disciples. Are you purposefully, actively walking with your brothers and sisters, pointing them to Christ and saying, we have to get busy with the work that God has called us to do because Christ has gone before us. He has... Paved the way, Hebrews says, for us. And he shows us here how he is about doing the Father's will, no matter what. Would you pray with me? Lord, our freedom from sin, our freedom from our idols, is Accomplished because you have accomplished that for us. And we actually, if we are in Christ, have the ability to say no to sin and to not bow down to our our idolatry and to obey you and to find our joy and satisfaction in that. Lord, remind us of that today, not as a a way of of a burden, but as a way of release, of freeness, of grace and joy to do what you have called us to do. Lord, you've already told us that we're going to be hated because we are associated with you, because we claim your name. Let us joyfully pursue what you have called us to do. Lord, as well, I pray for those who do not know you that are in our midst today, that the conviction of the Spirit would be upon them, that you would remove their heart of stone and and replace it with a heart of flesh, that they might receive the gift of faith and repentance and believe and repent. Lord, let us walk faithfully, loving you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and especially loving those whom you've given us in this local assembly enough to say, let's go. Praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.